The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Hot rates are backing up after hints that the Fed may actually chill out. Earnings, oofah, some pretty bad reactions to the mega caps. Facebook, Meta, just brutal, or perhaps deserving. And we're listing the winners of the book giveaway. All this and much more on episode number 788 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And a very good welcome to the end of October to you. Yeah, end of the month. October is drawing to an end, and that bump that we had been thinking about actually happened. It was a pretty darn good month overall if you look at the major indices. Yes, there were some problems. Clearly, there were some issues related to many of the mega caps that came in just this last week with pretty god-awful numbers. We saw like the likes of of Google or Alphabet uh, and, and Facebook slash Meta, whatever the hell you want to call these companies anymore. It seems like the kiss of death is not only putting your name on the stadium, but it's also potentially changing your name when it comes to the markets. Nobody wants to have any part of it. But when you look at things like Apple picking up nicely after the, the, the numbers weren't as bad as expected. On the other hand, you had Amazon. Amazon clearly was a uh, disappointment overall. But when you take it in, in its totality, the fact is that we look at that maybe this is kind of getting towards the fulcrum point where we have some of the worst things that we could imagine where the NASDAQ is down 31% for the year. Interestingly, the Dow Jones only up, down about 12% for the year after coming up this month alone 11%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 11% this month. And that, we should give a great congratulations to the financials and energy companies, industrials alike. These companies have really pulled through. And that's why you're hearing a lot about, well, the idea that value is much over the, over the area of growth right now. Hey, let's stop for a second because you know what? Maybe, I don't know, a quick intro. <laughs> Maybe you're the first time listener to the show. And here I am, Andrew Horowitz. I am the host. I have been here in this seat, or a seat that looks kind of like this, since about 2007. And we talk each and every week about finance. We talk about investments, and we talk about your future, your aspirations, and everything that goes along with the idea of eventually conquering and getting towards a level of financial independence, a level that will give you the opportunity to have that freedom that you want to live the way you want to live. And this is not a decentralized DeFi cryptocurrency, you know, way out discussion that you put in $50 and one day you're going to be a multimillionaire. No, it's hard work. What we do here is learn. We, we go through the, the various things that go out each and every week. We talk about what's happening in the markets. We look at individual stocks and indices and currencies, and we look at the policies that are going on, not only here, but around the world. And we take from that 
all that we need to understand what it is that we need to do for the future. Sometimes that means making dramatic changes. Sometimes that means doing absolutely nothing. So when I say that we're having a great month in the Dow Jones Industrial Average and on the value side of the equation, that probably shouldn't be a surprise to many of you who have been listening as we have discussed that in a time when rates are coming up and there is a desire to stay somewhere invested in the markets, the opportunity arises in areas that maybe weren't those that went interest rate where, where interest rates were were low. We have to take a different tact. When interest rates were low, as we know, we've talked about how it's really beneficial to companies that uh, have high multiples because they can borrow and keep on expanding and using debt to fund buybacks, expansion, and the growth-fueled boom that they have due to liquidity, stimulus, and low interest rates. Maybe it's, I need to tell you, it's over. It's over. Those days are gone. And here we are now when people are looking for things like, well, where can I find good balance sheets? You know, I'd like to find some cash cows. How about some high dividend producing stocks? Maybe I want a company that I know that is going to be there. Caterpillar will, with all the trials and tribulations of what happens in that industry, the fact is that farming and mining and infrastructure expansion is probably going to be continuing even through a lot of differing financial conditions. So this is a big issue right now. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I want to mention I just got back from a beautiful, beautiful day in, in Virginia. The leaves were turning color. The, the, the weather was <laughs> colder than I'm used to, but it was gorgeous. It was a charity tournament where he's a lot of money for this charity. It was great, beautiful one of the things you know, after this beauty passes, these these orange and gold and red-colored maple leaves and the trees that are just starting to see their leaves flutter to the ground, which, by the way, caused a lot of problem on the golf course because every time you hit a ball, you saw where it went, but then you get up to it and you can't find it because it's probably under a leaf somewhere. So I don't even want to talk about how many balls I actually lost on the course that day, not to mention snapping the top of my driver right off the top, which I was really happy about. Because I can't hit that driver. I've tried for a couple of years now. They've got this new driver. I bought it. Really didn't get fitted for it. I said, okay, it's got good reviews. I'll buy it. Bad move. Couldn't hit this thing worth a damn. So there I am struggling for the first hole, third hole, fourth hole, fifth hole. Seventh hole, I get up there. I'm like, I can't use this driver. It's awful. Take a crack at the ball. The driver goes farther than the ball. The head just totally just pops off. And I am like... Standing there, so happy. <laughs> I am so incredibly happy that this thing is gone. But nonetheless, and this week, I come back down here, and this weekend is Boat Show Weekend. You know, the Boat Show in Fort Lauderdale brings as much money into the area as a Super Bowl would somewhere else. And that happens every single year in South Florida, 
We got actually the West Palm Beach Boat Show, the Miami Boat Show, and Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale has become the biggest. And I've gone over the past couple of years, but I got to be honest with you, I was, I haven't been in the market, you know, um, recently in the past, I think, year or so. I decided to beg off of it. And one of the reasons had because, um, not that I didn't want to buy anything, but because I guess there was an incident a couple of years ago at the at the show. Now I think about it, it's two of them. Two, I, two things happened. I was in the market for a gaff. This is a long pole with a big, giant hook on the end of it. And when you're catching a fish, you bring it up through the boat through a gaff. Uh, pretty brutal. But uh, we grab the fish when it's caught. So I saw one. I asked about it. I said, hey, you know what? That's a carbon fiber that's uh, nine feet tall with the, with, the, with the Winthrop hook on top. That's the one I want. I said to the guy, how much is that gaff? He says $325. I said, the, the, the gaff is $325. The pole with the hook on top is $325. He says, yes, well, it's carbon fiber. And look at the nice uh, stitching and how we, you know, we, 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 we tied it with this really nice line. And uh, uh-huh. It's the boat show. What's the boat so special? He says $325. I said, okay, so let me get it straight. That's it. He goes, yeah. I said, let me ask you, if I walked into your store next week, and I wanted to buy this. How much would it cost? Three twenty-five. He says. I said. So there's no longer a boat show special. That's correct. Okay. All right. The other thing that happened real quickly was uh, I was in the market to buy a hose. Don't ask me why, but I wanted these really cool hoses that shrink up when you're not using them. Right? You've seen those. I see it at the show. I'm like, you know what? I want this. It's the show. I'll get a boat show special. It's a special price. Whatever it was, twenty-eight dollars. Whatever it was. Uh, I buy it. Well, I think it was $50. So I buy it. I get home. I look on Amazon. It's $5 cheaper on Amazon. I felt totally ripped off. So no deals. No deals. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun event. Great things that we used to find out about that we didn't know about before, before the internet. You had to go to the boat show to find out what was the latest and greatest, right? But what what turned out to be a great place to get discounts, find out information, once again became some way of these companies extracting money out of the masses. I don't know, maybe it's me. I don't know. I, you know, but the, I often think about the value proposition when it comes to my money. I mean, I don't get crazy with it, like some do, but I need to feel that net-net uh, there's a value. Now, not all the time. Sometimes you just do things because you just want to. Sometimes you do things and you you really search and search and search and search for the lowest price possible, even though a price that you found may have been a reasonable value. Now, this brings me to a discussion when it comes to investing, the value proposition. There's a, I would say in the in the investing world, there's a sect almost like a religious group, a partition in the investment world and that carry this flag and this mantra about low fees. And oftentimes that's, that, that's, that's right along with passive investing. I'm all for paying the lowest fees possible to get the greatest result. But these folk are all about Let's just get the lowest fees. You know, mutual funds and ETFs. How are we going to find the lowest fees? And that leads us to this place or another. They've been either 
personally or outwardly brainwashed into a place where they're going to look for basically just fee first, return second. And I want you to consider this. Some weird examples about this because this is something that I have seen time and time again that individuals will do as well. Yes, maybe some of you. That you you don't really think about what you should be thinking about. What you're thinking about is, man, I don't want to spend that 1% on that advisor. I don't want to spend that 2% on that mutual fund. I'd rather, you know, instead of that, just pay 0.3%. And I, I don't care what the returns are. Not looking at the returns. It's the fact that you're not paying as much. But I want you to consider this. Two different kinds of investments. One charges a 10% fee. And the other one charges 0.50, half a percent. Both invest in stocks. Let's keep it simple. What do you choose? Think about that. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. I want you to think about that. One investment that invests in stocks charges a 10% fee. The other one charges half a percent. What do you choose? Crazy, right? I mean, how could you not choose that one? So we both invest in stocks. I mean, what could be different? I mean, what's the difference? Well, many would say that the lower cost one is better, right? You're probably thinking that. Why would I invest? Why would I spend 9.5%? Man, that, that, that opportunity to get over that 9.5% of both invest in stocks, what's the point of that? That's just stupid. But we need to have more information, don't we? Because if the cheap one returned an average of 10% per year over the past 10 years, and the expensive one, on the other hand, returns an average of 15% over the past 10 years, net of fees, both net of fees, do you have any problem paying for the performance? Let's get even crazier. Do you really care if you're paying 20% if you net 40%? Listen, let's get our heads screwed on straight here. We don't know all the costs associated with every single trade that goes on or the decision-making that goes on. There's a decision-making cost that goes on, but let's not get carried away by thinking that value is only the price. When we look at that, we're not thinking about the value proposition. And the value proposition comes in many different shapes and, and sizes and formats, and, and you have to think about what is the experience? What are they doing? What happens if, I don't know, theoretically, the one that charged a lot more has the opportunity to bring up a whole heap of cash during market downturns, saves you from getting skunked when the markets turn lower and hard and on the hard side down, whereas the prospectus requires that the cheaper funds stay invested all the time. Now you may say, well, if that's the case, I'll pull my money out. Oh, really? And your experience at market timing, how, how well has that worked so far? I can name successful market timers on two fingers. And most of them only were successful for a short period of time and then failed miserably after that. So here we are in a situation where we're thinking, we're thinking, you know, cheap is better, which by the way, I agree that we want to pay the least possible, but we want to really establish what is the value proposition of what I'm investing in. Now, stocks are a little different 
than mutual funds and ETFs. Because an individual stock, there really is no cost to invest in it, except for the fact of, okay, what is the parameter in terms of value proposition on PE to uh, and peg ratio? And what is the value proposition in terms of dividend yield and stock buybacks? What is the value proposition of pure adjusted performance? And, and how are we looking in the market? I mean, there's a lot of things there, but I'm talking about the actual fee to invest. That's totally different. The value proposition really just states, what value am I getting here for my money? And this is the problem with inflation, by the way. The value is getting less and less for the same amount of money. So now all of a sudden, whether we look at shrinkflation or actual dollar or financial currency-based inflation, the value proposition is getting crappier by the day. The same thing that we bought for X is now X plus five. And without even knowing it, I bet you look at the value proposition relatively often. I think that's something that you probably do just innately, right? It's part of your life every day after you weigh decisions and you become very good at it. But somehow we get our wires crossed when we start thinking about spending our money for somebody else to do something for us. Now, maybe you're really good at plumbing and your sink isn't acting right. And you decide, you know, I'm going to do this myself. Like, I think I could just unscrew the P-trap and I could do this and I could pour a little stuff down there and I could clean it out. Or maybe it just needs to be refit with another gasket, whatever. Somebody may look at that and say, oh my, <laughs> I can't do that. We're good at certain things in life and certain things we aren't. The question is, how much mental capacity do we want to put into this idea of doing it ourselves versus finding it cheap? Versus finding a relatively good value proposition when it comes to our investments, particularly in ETFs and mutual funds. That's what I'm saying. So th the same is, is true as, as we research thing, things and, and, we, and, and we look at how we spend our time. What is the value in the future of what I'm spending on my money on now? And that is exactly how you have to look at your investments. Because the value proposition is not just today. What am I spending my money on? How much am I paying to get there? But what is that going to look like in the future? That's the big issue. So when we look at where we are with regard to the overall idea of investing and what we're spending our money on today from the value proposition of, uh, I would call it advice in the mutual fund and, and ETF area, but also the value proposition of what are we going to have in the future? And I want you to think about that as, you make your way through the markets, investments, understand the difference between real value and hype. Now, that's something that really needs to be focused in on, right? How do you know? Well, unfortunately, you know it when you see it. And if you don't know it when you see it, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding and how to discern the differential. You know, whether you get your investment advice from social media, and we saw how David Portnoy, remember him, blew up right in front of our eyes over about a six-month, seven-month period from being king of, hey, I can invest in everything and it just makes a lot of money to just absolutely down millions upon millions of dollars in the end because he had no idea what he was doing and felt like that he was just king of, of this. But it was really just all hype in the end, wasn't it? Made a fool of himself, in my opinion. And if you remember, during the time that he was 
doing this. And even the time when he was making money and buying all this crazy cryptocurrency and, and trying to be in the markets and do this market timing, I said, you know, I got to be honest with you. Uh, no, this is not looking like something that is going to be sustainable <laughs> by any means. So think about the value proposition as you go through the world of investing, but not in a, a vacuum. Not in a vacuum. What are all the other things that are associated with the fees that may be beneficial to me? And what are the total outcomes that I can look at by utilizing this investment, this service, this advice? Particularly when it comes to mutual funds and ETFs. Why is it that we choose to pay a little bit more to be invested in certain bond funds rather than ETFs? Because we see the value in that especially during difficult times in the markets. During times when things are good, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Just throw a dart and you're in good shape. What are we paying for? We're paying for navigating through the difficult times. Are we paying the pilot to fly from here to Tokyo? No. We're really paying the pilot for two things, taking off, landing, and anything that may go wrong in between. Otherwise, we're on autopilot. Same as very true to, with our investments. It's only those times that we need help that we're willing to pony up. What I'm saying is let's shift that mentality. Let's think about how the opportunity is really there for us long-term if we think about where the value is in what we're doing. And don't just stop the presses when it comes to simply looking at your bottom line uh, cost factor, but look at all the things that encompass what's involved with that. So there you go, value proposition. I want to talk about some of the economic numbers that we saw this week that were pretty interesting. Uh, and uh, look at what's going on with regard to the the, the general markets in terms of um, how it reacted. But I want to really focus for a second and talk about what's going on with the mega caps, Google and Amazon and Meta and Microsoft, a lot softer results than we expected. But wow, they got hit pretty hard. This is on top of how hard they've been hit already. They got punished. And maybe, like I said, rightfully so, because they were really put on a pedestal for so long. They were put in the genre of, you know what, uh, this is the safety trade. This is the place you want to be. Everybody throws money at it. Passive investing would help to accentuate the returns, but it's also doing the same thing in reverse in the downside. Whereas these command the highest level of exposure in the passive index funds. And blindly, people will just invest there. And for a long time, technology, no matter what happened, would always pop back, right? It was always it got better. We got a two and a half year low on Amazon, same price as it was in 2018. Let that sink in just for a moment, <laughs> just, just for a wee second. Think about that, 2018. Meta, used to be in the Trillionaire Club, remember that? Not so much, now the name is Meta, 
the hubris, the lack of, uh, of ability for the company to pivot when they should, to give up on something that maybe is costing them too much. At least that's what investors are thinking right now. That is just a really bad situation that's going on. Very concerning from the the aspect of uh, the, the spend that's going on. And, and this is a real problem. We don't have the same problem in other companies. They are seemingly having good discipline. They're cutting down on expenditures. They are cutting down on um, employment overhead costs. They're, they're, they're tightening the buckle, tightening the belt and the buckle. But it seems here we are on the back end of earnings, which is turning all around slightly from what the beginning seemed to accomplish, which was, again, moving up the banks better than expected. Net interest margins um, and earnings from their, their spreads were doing a lot better. And really, the balance sheets looked okay and not a lot of loan charge-offs at this point. Commentary out of a couple of the banks, a lot better than expected. Bank of America in particular looked a lot better. J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, question Morgan Stanley, not so great. But the consumer does not look terrible at this point. That's, I think, what was really good. And then again, energy just continuing to do pretty well overall. So that, that there's some good things that are happening there. Uh, and the reality is that we look at where we are from uh, the aspect of uh, the, the totality of earnings. I would say coming a little bit better from a lowered expectation standpoint. Outlook coming in worse. But lo and behold, markets are up in October. Remember that I talked about the seasonality. I, st I started talking about like the, the 15th. You know, let's get past this downstroke that we saw in the beginning of the month. And the 15th, my God, what an incredible rally. The 10% up that we saw in the Dow, that's for the month. It's even higher from the low. That's remarkable. Is it overdone? Probably a little bit. Volatility done? Absolutely not. Here we are coming to the end of the year. Seasonality benefits that. We have a November 2nd FOMC break decision. That's next Wednesday. 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 Let that sink in. Expectation is for a 75 basis point increase. What is going on right now over the last week or so is that there has been a slight softening from two different speakers that said that maybe, hmm, we'll start to look at a lower level of rate hikes moving forward. Not stopping it, right? Not lowering rates, but a lower level of increases. So maybe they go to 50 basis points. And then maybe they go to 25 basis points. And maybe they slow down for a little while after that. I don't know. Markets are thinking the best right now. They weren't for, went from thinking the worst two weeks, three weeks ago, to thinking the best possible scenario of what the scenarios can be. And if that happens, by the way, I think we're going to still see the banks do pretty well. And I'm one that's never a big advocate of the banks, but I'm, I'm liking the financials right now. I'm liking the energy shares right now. The headwinds of higher interest rates, a crushingly strong U.S. dollar, slower, slower global growth, really screwed the pooch when it comes to many, many of these names that are getting so hammered. But there, there, there is light at the end of the tunnel here, it looks like. Now, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to be just, I think, realistic that the, the 
levels that we were able to hold recently since the October low, pretty impressive. The idea that we are starting to see like pending home sales down more than we're expected. And we're seeing that home prices down two months in a row and more than was expected, more than on record on a monthly drop. These are starting to sink in, I think, and show that there is something working by raising interest rates. And that is going to continue to trickle into the economy for some time to come. A 7% 30-year mortgage is going to continue to hurt the entirety of the housing industry. We saw the NAHB coming at 38 last week or the week before, which is a pathetically low confidence level from the builders. They're saying, you know what? We don't see the future very bright. And how can you when you have houses priced at a level so much higher than they should be considering that interest rates have gone from 3% on a 30-year to 7% in a matter of 10 months? The cost factor differential on a $100,000 mortgage, interest only, is $4,000 a year on $100,000 per $100,000. $350 a month or so per $100,000 mortgage. All of a sudden, you're looking for a $500,000 mortgage. You're starting off. You're starting off at $20,000 more a year in interest payments. How does that look? What does that do to housing prices? No wonder why you're starting to see the streets lined and, and dotted with for sale and them staying up a lot longer than were. And how you're seeing that the days on market is expanding dramatically. Because people are still thinking, ah, eh, I'll get a million two on this house when it's only worth 300,000 or five, maybe not 300, but 800,000. So there's something that's got to bend and move. And what has happened this month is really pretty fascinating. Some of what we saw seemed to be a bit panicky, and, and rightfully so. When we're talking about nuclear war, we're talking about interest rates going higher, and we're seeing the crash of the, of, the, of, the, of the pound, the yen hitting 150, all these things, right? The same as we saw as the market was moving up every day last year. We have this inertia, this trend following, whatever you want to call it. Markets have a way of moving directionally and then kicking up a great deal of uncertainty and then flipping. And that cycle is manifesting itself again and pushing emotions that enhance the cycle trend. That is what happens time in and time out. So I want you to do a mental check. Where am I mentally? Are you in the camp that Everything's bad. And how can I invest now? And if that's the case, I want you to think for a moment. When did you recall feeling that again, like, like, like that before? I'm not suggesting that's where you are, but if you are there, when was the last time you felt like this? And don't say yesterday. I mean, in, in history, when was that? It was probably some of the market ugliness back in 2008, 9, 2020, 2016. Pick a date, 2002. By God, if you're around for 1987. Those are the times that often when we start to get that stomach cringing, that, that, that turn, that nausea, the, the starry eye, I don't know what to do. I can't take this anymore. Man, how many times has that been the time that it's been like, ah, we're getting closer to the bottom because you are no different than anybody else. You and I 
are men and women of the street. We're no different. We got an iPhone and we got this or that car and we're wearing this or that fashion. And by the way, side note, I was in Walmart for a few things over the weekend and I walked past the men's and women's clothing and by goodness, the 70s style is back again. Flared elephant bottom pants, bright colors and circles. If somebody wears this, you think they're right out of Woodstock. Not kidding. Amazing. I can't imagine that's going to fly, but you're not going to find me with a big old Afro uh, Huckapoo shirt and uh, I don't know what that'd be. Uh, trendy, tight, bell-bottom pants with platform shoes. Did that, done that, not doing it again. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, not going to happen again. But when you start to think about when it is that you felt that way and then what was the result sometime after, you could do yourself a big favor, save yourself a lot of grief, a lot of money, or give yourself a lot of excitement and happiness and opportunity. Where are we in this cycle? We know that, generally speaking, downturns last a lot shorter than upturns. Or, or, or rallies, right? Corrections are a lot shorter. They're deeper. They're faster. Maybe we're there. And you say, hey, Horowitz, what are you talking about? There's nothing changed. The tariffs are still on. The war is still on. Yeah, but look what's going on with natural gas. We got so much over there that natural gas prices in Europe turned negative. Negative spot prices last week turned negative for a day. They have so much natural gas in storage Tankers are lined up, can't even unload because the storage is full. Seriously. As crazy as that sounds. So when you look at the environment, your emotions, the trends, and think about where you are going from feeling worried and concerned and frantic and jubilant, stop. Stop. Remember that everything cycles. How many times have we talked about this? The idea that everything cycles and we are in a cycle. We're in a standard cycle. From peak to trough to trough to peak. And in between it feels like hell and damnation and on top, ah, the best ever. Don't get caught up in all the nonsense. Don't get caught up in all the emotion. Investment or economic, the peak to trough, back again, cycles are going to be there. The question is how deep, how wide, how long, how far? That's the questions. But the actual cycle doesn't disappear. And you know, you could choose to participate or not. But not participating, sitting on the sidelines, what does that do for you? You may say it saves me money. All right, great. Have at it. If that's what you want to do, that's great. Question when you're going to get back in, how you're going to make that determination, and what that looks like for your future. I'm going to tell you, I don't mind being one foot in, one foot out, dollar cost averaging, all that's great. The one thing that probably is the worst thing you do is just pulling out and then waiting. And I can tell you, I've seen it before, it's very disastrous and very difficult ever 
to get back in because once things go against you on the way up, you're thinking, man, I sold lower. I'm not getting in at a higher price. So there you go. Hey, speaking of all this, I want to mention that some of these things, these emotions and, and, and how and why and where to invest are all outlined in my first book that I put out called The Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success. It's available on audiobook, I believe, still. Yes, it's been many years. It's been uh, out uh, 14 years. These things fade eventually. Uh, but you can probably pick that up over at Amazon, Audible, etc. But if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, hey, send in your name, send in your address, 10 random listeners are going to be picked out. And we set up a randomizer uh, from all the names that were sent in. And I want to thank everybody for participating in a little fun game that we had. And I want to just tell you all the people that won and give you an update of what's happening. You'll get your book shortly. Um, in uh, no particular order, Brandon Thomason, Patrick Kading, Sammy Dukowski, Steve Turner, John Vincent, James Tith, John Segley, John Segley, Douglas Webb, Kevin Kinnett, and Robert Fascio. So not one woman on there. That is so odd. The randomizer, I guess. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I want to just finish up today and talk about the economics coming next week. There's a lot coming out next week, and I think we need to be aware of that on top of what we saw this week. Again, some softer numbers overall, and that was interesting when you look at what's going on with markets. The fact is that, again, some of the markets are really, uh, uh, I would say, happy about uh, uh, some of the worse than expected numbers. But yet, at the same time, we have to recognize that where we are is in a situation where we are in the cycle. And the fact is uh, that we are looking at a, a, a circumstance when it comes to um, all the things that are going on that we have to really focus in on how bad is it getting and what does that mean for the Fed because they are a big part of the investment cycle right now. So starting next week, nothing – oh, no, excuse me, Monday, there is something. There's a Chicago PMI, not a big deal. That's coming out on Monday. But Tuesday, we start with the ISM Manufacturing Index, which I think is a, a high-value situation. Construction spending also at 10 o'clock on uh, November 1st on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we start to get into it pretty good. We got the mortgage applications, uh, the first thing uh, in the morning at 7 o'clock, and then we have the ADP employment change, looking for about an increase of 208,000. No, that was, that was last time. Uh, Mid-200s to down to 190. We're seeing um, the FOMC rate decision at 2 p.m. And then, of course, a 2.30 conference call that is just very, very important. Expectations are for a, a 75 base point increase. Then on Thursday, we have initial claims, continuing claims, trade balance. We have productivity, unit labor costs, factory orders. Those are important because it's going to tell us if wage inflation is still moving higher and productivity is moving lower. Not a good combo. Uh, the ISM non-manufacturing or the services index is going to be coming out after that at 10, 30, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. And then we finish it off on Friday. Again, on top of the fact that we have the, the Fed on Wednesday, we got Friday, the non-farm payroll numbers for October, the average hourly earnings, the unemployment rate, the average work week. So all in all, it's a pretty darn busy week. So... Uh, you know, put that in uh, the calculation for what is going on next week. Uh, think about the value proposition that we talked about so intently today and uh, on a regular basis. And think about what you're doing. Listen, we're available to help you if you do not have any idea what to do and you're confused in this market environment. That's what we're here for uh, right now. I think it's important to be 
Uh, cautiously optimistic, but I think the word cautious has a lot more weight on it. But at the same time, you can play as long as you're in the game. That's the bottom line. Listen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for joining me each and every week. Uh, we'll have some guests coming up in the next few weeks, but I had a lot to talk about in terms of, um, you know, our emotions, the cycle last week, spent a lot of time with, uh, or the whole entire episode was really the, 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 the replay of the recent webinar, which I got a lot of emails about. And thank you so much for, the, for those about how you much, you really enjoyed those. So that's, that's great. That, that's something that uh, we haven't done before like that. And I think it really worked out very, very well. Uh, from uh, my place to yours, thank you so much for joining me. And I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.